Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. Is gaining international experience important for finance professionals? I mean, do those long-term benefits outweigh the short-term inconveniences involved of having to relocate or move between countries? Particularly when we're told our worlds are meant to be getting more flat and, and more global. So what better way to find out than ask this week's guest mentor, Simon Kelly, who himself describes his international experience as a bit of a curveball in his career. And when we delved a bit deeper into it, we uncovered two steps um, on how we should perhaps maybe approach to taking on an international assignment and a load of useful questions to answer so that we get more out of it. And actually, there was a surprising truth we uncovered about the career progression benefits of having such experience. We also go into Simon's extensive work as an interim, which, funny enough, his international exposure helped him uh, gain the confidence to go do and also embracing failure, uh, the importance of having supportive managers and the benefits of actually working with salespeople and their mindset of generating options for customers. So look, really enjoyed this conversation with Simon, so I hope you enjoy as much listening to it. Um, If you did, you can check out the detailed timestamp show notes, key quotes and resources at the sitnshow.com website. We're also on all the major platforms, so please subscribe and let your friends and colleagues know uh, that we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and YouTube. And really appreciate you investing the time with us. So without further ado, over to Simon and the show. Simon, welcome to the show. Thank you. We've spoken previously, but some of our audience uh, may not be as familiar with you. And it was actually Andy Burroughs said, you know, we need to get this guy, Simon, onto the show. So uh, would you mind maybe sharing a bit behind your story in finance? So, yeah, absolutely. Firstly, Andy's a great guy. I love Andy. Worked with him a few times. And, and, and we, we think very similarly. So so I'm pleased he kind of connected us. I, I guess my, my story is in two parts with a great big curveball in the middle. I got qualified and did all of that fun stuff. Um, and then I decided very early on that I didn't want to do management accounting, um, but I wanted to be in a finance role. So, uh, so, so I went and did lots of commercial finance, bids and deals and working with salespeople, um, investment appraisals and that sort of stuff. And kind of built up a, a, a reasonable reputation within the telecom sector um, in the early part of my career. Kind of just doing that. Um, didn't do any technical accounting. I still don't do any technical accounting, thank the Lord. <laughs> It has a role in the place. I, I absolutely get that, but it's just not for me. And and then I just kind of I progressed through through there, um, becoming slightly more senior. And then, like most people, you know, something happens. So the bit in the curveball in the middle is um, I went to spend a year in Saudi Arabia, um, in Riyadh, um, working for Nokia Siemens Networks. It was a great, great opportunity. Not the opportunity I applied for with uh, Nokia Siemens. But it, it was one of those that um, I got flown over to Dubai um, to do a, a weekend-long um, kind of interview process, psychosymmetric testing and all the rest of that stuff. It shows that psychosymmetric testing is completely arbitrary because they didn't find out that I was crazy. <laughs> so, 
so you know, so so, so I did that. Um, I spent a year in in Saudi in kind of two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Uh, amazing, amazing experience from a work perspective. Learned an awful lot about myself. Um, I would encourage anybody that is even remotely thinking about working in an international company in a in a place that is completely unfamiliar to to do it and try it. It teaches you a lot about yourself, a lot about what you what you could do and couldn't do. It gives you an immense amount of confidence. So, so you, you know, I absolutely would recommend anybody wanting or even thinking about doing it to do it sooner rather than later. And, and that finished, and I come back to the UK, and then I I, I switched from being a, a permanent person and moved to the world of interim. So I've been doing that since I come back from since 2010. Oh, so look, there's there's a lot in there, and I I think let's start with the end. That immense confidence you definitely get that sense when you come back because you've learned so much about yourself. But you know, for people looking to take those first steps, obviously it's just a case of just go do it. But you know, for those that are doing it or thinking of doing it, maybe are there any sort of easy steps that they can take to ease themselves into into doing it right or getting the most out of the experience? I I would say um, find find somebody that is really really good and has been whichever country area or whatever that you're looking at find a really really good connection um that can talk about the culture and talk about the the nitty-gritty stuff that you kind of forget so what's living accommodations like what's what's the what's the cost of living those sorts of things because because some of those they become you go oh it's not too different to london um, and then you go get there, and it's like, oh, crikey, no, it's extremely different. Um, so, so really do the research well, um, and, and understand where where you want to go, but maintain that flexibility because, as I did, op- other things open up, and you, you you get to experience different things. And then I I, I think the, the second part is be really really sure around the the role that you want to do. I would always recommend if you're going to work abroad. Um, and um, kind of your post-qualified a couple of years, really, really stretch yourself in terms of the roles that you apply for. They are much more forgiving um, internationally um, around being promoting people and giving them much more senior roles than you would get in the UK. And that's where the work experience and that's where the benefits really, really come from. So um, if you're going to do it, those are the two things that I would probably focus on. Yeah, that's that's really great advice, and I I never thought about it before. But in terms of those promotions and getting those stretch roles, I actually think that actually yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense to me based on my own experience. So so yeah, thanks for calling that one out. And I suppose in terms of yourself, Simon, like what what was would you say maybe the biggest thing you you learned about yourself from the whole experience? I I think the the biggest thing I learned about myself was probably that. I can do an awful lot more than I thought I could. And by that, I mean different things. I'm I'm always, I'm quite an amenable guy. I, you know, I talk to lots of people, you know, hierarchies don't fade me or anything like that. They never have. But the people management side and the stakeholder management side, and you you know, I I always, I always thought I was, I, I was amenable and I could talk to people but it was the influencing bit. Was I really influencing them? Was I really getting them to my way of thinking? Was I getting them to the conclusions that I wanted to get them to? Um, and, and in Saudi, uh, because uh, you know I was dealing with princes and royal family and people like that because they all work in pretend roles, um, and I mean that in a <laughs> nice way. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're the influencers. They're the ones that 
you know, NSM was owed a huge amount of money um, from the account that I was, I was looking after, um, and they just weren't paying. And it wasn't that they were never going to pay. It wasn't like it was a bad debt, but because they weren't being courted in the right way. And that's where I learned that actually I can do an awful lot more of influencing. I was a much better influencer than I realized I was um, because you're thrust into a situation where there is a really, really big outcome at the end of it. And I think that was my biggest learning. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I really, I think I'm half our audience really appreciate you sharing that experience and, and um, it's great to show what can happen when you put yourself out there yep. and, and stretch yourself. So look, that, that you know, uh, appreciate you sharing that, Simon. And uh, another another part of my career, no, I really enjoyed was my work as an interim, which I think I actually sort of stopped doing as you got into it. So uh, I'm curious to understand, like, what is the world of being an interim like now, and is it something you'd recommend our audience consider? Yeah, yeah. So I guess there's two there's two elements to that. Um, uh, do I enjoy? It? I love being an interim. I love the the change, the opportunities, the non-BAU, the projecty element of what you normally get in terms of an interim. And, and you know, to be, be clear, when I talk interim, I don't mean a, a contractor going in to do a BAU role. Uh, I'm talking about an interim being a proper interim, going in with a, here's a bundle of mess. Here's where we want to get to. We don't know how to get there. Can you help us type of thing? That definition is quite important, I think, because there are lots of, there are lots of people that call themselves interims, but they're just going in to do a BAU role. They just happen to be on a day rate contract um, um, in the market. Um, would I recommend it? You have to have a certain amount of resiliency. Um, you, you have to have a certain amount of perseverance. And you have to be extremely confident that you can manage your energy really really well um one of the one of the things that that i i i didn't realize it was a thing until um uh, i got the chance to to meet sophie devonshire um who um has written a book um which uh, I, i'll talk about later but um energy management um is a is what i've been doing without realizing me doing it and you need to, to be able to manage your energy when you're an interim um you know, I've been fortunate enough to have next to no time off between assignments. Um, I've not been out of work for a really long time or anything like that. But that brings its own challenges in terms of getting tired and things like that. So, so managing your energy, I think you need to understand that if you want to be a successful interim, um, when you go into it, you have to be prepared to not have a holiday if opportunities arise and you want to take those opportunities and things like that. Yeah, that's... That's actually a really important point. I'm glad you mentioned it, Simon. And look, I, I, you know, as an interim previously, like I felt that I learned so much about myself from doing it. It was just, I felt everything was accelerated. Yeah. Um, and, but that point about energy management, I never quite appreciate it until you just mentioned it there because, um, because I suppose I did it and I love, I love the flexibility of it. So when the contract ended, I actually chose my own end times. Yeah. And, um, and, and the reason why I did that is because, I wanted to be around for the birth of our kids. Um, yep. But actually, when I was, I was completely exhausted. And uh, and I probably needed a couple of months to recuperate. And you do get that flexibility as an interim. But you yep. know, if you're doing a great job, if you want the next assignment or engagement, it's, it's there waiting for you when you're ready to go back. And I think it's important, as you said, to manage the energy to 
so you can tackle the next assignment and my best ever mentor I think at the time was was a very seasoned interim I learned so much off them and it's I think um, you know whether someone is considering a career in interim or in finance or uh, you know, gets to work with interims around them or surrounded I think there's so much benefit from having a, a mentor who is an interim yeah I 100% agree yeah no i like you, I've been fortunate to have some extremely good mentors, both permanent and interim, um, and they've helped me massively. And, and again, anybody wanting to do or thinking about interim, um, getting a mentor uh, or two or three mentors um, just to help you along that journey is kind of almost a must. I, I did it when I was three or four years into being an interim. Um, and, and saw the benefits straight away three or four years later and go, oh my God, I wish I'd I wish I'd thought about getting a mentor three or four years ago. I, 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 I might be in a different place or I might have been doing things differently and things like that. So, yeah, I think mentorship is, is a big thing. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like the case with me now where it's like I was adopted by a mentor. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, sugar, why didn't I think of that earlier, you know? Um, <laughs> But uh, no, it's like you got positive stories there. So, uh, and by the way, that's another thing I think with interview, you, you know, when you, you sort of catch up with an interim or whatever, like the stories of what they've gone through and the things they've seen in finance, sometimes it's just unbelievable. Um, and, and it's really good fun to catch up with someone who's an interim as well. So I'm sure yeah. you, you've loads of stories. Um, as was any, any sort of fond ones you, you might recall and things you came across uh, there, Simon? There's been, there's been one or two, I, I think. Having had the experience in Saudi, one of the one of my first interim roles, uh, I, I went into a meeting, and the the person running the meeting um, was not being quite accurate, and uh, was you, you know a seasoned permanent person um, wanting to control and, and and show how powerful they were in their role, um, and and I didn't know who they were. I just assumed that they were you know somebody. So. I kind of corrected them, started having a go at them um, in a constructive, challenging way, and um, and and it turned out they they were the CFO. Um, so you know, um, I hadn't been introduced. Uh, so lesson number one: always know your audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, the the best lessons here, I think, the hardest one lessons. And um, when you look back and you cringe, it's, oh no! But I really appreciate you sharing that. Time. Yeah. yeah no, <laughs> How to go that, after that, that by the way. Um, did they say anything or how'd it go after? Uh, afterwards, they, they, they asked for a meeting and they said, it's a really good job you know what you're talking about, otherwise you would have been walking out that door this afternoon. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the positive is trusting yourself. Um, know, your, know your audience, but if you don't trust in yourself and if you firmly believe it, you know, um, take that challenge. And you know, one of the key things, I think, that for me, being an interim is that ability to stand alone. Um, and, and have a different yeah. mindset and be confident that your mindset's not wrong might not necessarily be right but it's not wrong um, and I think that's, that's, that's kind of what Saudi taught me so I was able to bring that into my interim career relatively early um, and you say you, you, you learn from making mistakes as long as you yeah. you make the mistakes and you accept failures as failures um, but you know sometimes they fail because you didn't actually do anything wrong they just failed you know, yeah. notch it up in that column and move on. Don't dwell on it. Just, you know, you learn much, much quicker by failing and letting that failure be a failure than dwelling on it. And just as long as you learn from it, do it quickly, get, and just keep going. Do you, I mean, do you think, do you think 
going down the commercial route helped you on that one, Simon, because like, I, you know, as someone who sort of came up the technical side and accuracy was a very important thing. And I think we sort of had the, 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 the advantages of failing or failing fast bred out of us. And, yep. and then I, you know, I have moving over to commercial finance later in my career, um, which probably was more suited to me anyway, was, was, you know, you don't win all the bids, <laughs> you know, no, it's just no, the nature of the beast. Not. So do you think, do you think that sort of helps accept failure better or, or is there something that we could just generally do better in finance to, to, to appreciate the value of failure sometimes? Um, I, so, so I definitely think it's something we can do better in finance as a, as a generic stereotype. As you say, there are there are pockets of finance that that do it um, and accept it. I think I'm I was extremely fortunate, you know, in the, um, my first few roles. A, I had really good bosses um, that were extremely supportive, and and that if I did make a mistake or if I did an er- make an error or you know I said something I shouldn't have said, um, they were they were 100 percent supportive of what I was doing. So so I. I, I had that framework behind me of being of, of having supportive managers, um, but but the key bit for me was the fact that I constantly worked with sales and salespeople mm-hmm. and business development people. Now those guys are totally different animals to, to finance people. Um, you know, we talk about accuracy and we're talking about it's it's a hundred percent right. Salespeople talk about accuracy and it's maybe twenty percent right. The rest <laughs> the rest of it they can fix. And and that's not uh, that's not being disparaging about salespeople. That's what they're good at, you know. That's that's what they that's what they work with. So I think I, I think being really early on, having the exposure to salespeople and senior salespeople and directors, um, and seeing how they worked and seeing what they did, and they were like, oh well, that didn't work, did it? Let's move on. Oh, that price instructor's not worked for them. Let's move on. Let's Simon, give me something else. Give me some flexibility. Um, learning that what they wanted was flexibility. And they didn't want a complete answer. They wanted options. That that enabled me to to go in with a different mindset when I did start doing some of the technical accounting stuff. Actually, you know that is actually a really good point. As I think, it's that that mindset of 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 more than one way to the answer. There was some bit yep. of flexibility and options. That's that's key. So I, I guess you you know geez, that's a great thing to have had earlier in your career. Um, I suppose in terms of now though, Simon, like what's exciting you most about your current work? We like pace of change. Um, the there is so much going on now in the finance community, um, and they there used to be a it's finance and it's MI and it's BI and they're kind of separate. And but now it's all coming together. Um, the last couple of places that I've worked at, um, it's been about data and and just getting getting to a single source of data. And, and a single source of data and a single source of the truth is a cliche, I know, and everybody's used it for a long time. But but there there is something that is that is fundamentally core to being able to provide insight um, and drivers of business performance is by having all of the data in one place to be able yes. to interrogate it. Um, yes. And that that is that's what's exciting because. I find as an interim in particular, you go in and you go, well, what's your data like? Oh, no, no, our data's not too bad. Really? Mm. <laughs> no, 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 it's all right. And then Why you start <laughs> and you go, oh, right, okay, so let me do a data exercise before I have to do anything else. That's the bit that's exciting that companies are now kind of, uh, and it's not just finance data, it's all of the data. It's the operational it's metrics and it's, and it's yeah. everything. That, that you, can, you can have that one-stop shop of, right, what do I need? You know, a long time ago, 
um, I was introduced to Click when Click was very relatively new. Um, I took that and um, I took that to brokers and, and said, right, let's talk about your performance. Let's talk about claims. Let's talk about ratios. Let's talk about exposures where you're having a bad experience on a particular type of car or a particular age of car. And we could do that because we had a single source and it was in click and you could draw down all of the way through it. Um, and that is because that was quite small. It was in a quite a small and kind of ring fenced arena. But that's now becoming big, you know, FTSE 100 companies, FTSE 50 companies are now kind of really cottoning on to, Christ, if we have all of this, then mm-hmm. unfortunately it means that there are people that, that don't get roles. Um, and, and, I, and I worry from that pace of change that people don't learn how to analyze um, and how to get to data. Um, but however, once the data's there, actually the, the, the value add of, of being able to sit in front of the exec or the board and say, right, the reason the business performance and the reason that our profit down isn't because of what you think. It's because mm-hmm. um, we, got, we got given an, an FCA fee over here, which we had no idea was coming. Um, real life example. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, or, or it's a... Well, we assumed our retention was going to do this, but however, we what we what we failed to realise is that we changed the product and we didn't fully roll out and test that product. So, retention's dropped, therefore profits dropped. Being able to get to that real core product level and, and be able to explain it um, to the board and everything else, I, I think that is the bit that's really exciting at the moment. That, that's that I think that's the game changer. Yeah, but like you know, it's I'm sort of laughing inside a bit because I can so relate to that, particularly back to my interim days. That that was the biggest thing actually was this one version of the truth, the Bible. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah a single source of truth. But essentially, what it means is just you're you're tying up financial and non-financial indicators and, and data yep. sets, and and combining them to to drive insights that that in effect are challenging conventional wisdom. That the thing though with that, and I. I know there's that rate of change, and, and you know there's some good bits of that, which means you know storage is much uh, cost costs much less. Um, there's much more tools in Excel, and access yeah, to go yeah. be doing these things. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned yeah. Click. You must have been one of the earliest adopters then, because I mean it, it looks like a cracking tool. I've not used it myself uh, substantially. I've dabbled with it, but you know like um, there, there's these visualization tools out there now, so it makes it much more accessible. Like how like you know. Um, I suppose the big element, though, and that is trying to get the data into that one source in the first place. Yep. Um, I mean, to earn the right to then then provide the insight. So how do you how do you sum up the courage to do that? Because that's a big enough task, generally speaking, isn't it? To to go and get all the the single version of truth or one source of truth set up. Yeah. Um. The the, the real honest answer. I, the real honest answer is you summon up the courage to get the people that know what they're doing to do it for you. Um, <laughs> uh, I'd be completely honest. You, you, you know, I, you know, ten, ten years ago, um, mm-hmm. I was a really, really good doer. Um, I, I did a, an awful lot. Like, so, implementing Click, doing MI and BI roles, doing Insight, doing big models, and all the rest of it. Um, there was only I, I learned over the last ten years. There was only so much that I can achieve by doing everything myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so what, when I say being really honest, you get somebody else to do it for you. That, that's not being slopey shoulders. That's knowing that 
there are far more qualified and far better people yes. out there to give problems to that will resolve them much, much quicker than you can and give you a different lens to look at the problem that you're giving them and give you, give you what you need so that you can then do what you want to do and do what you need to do. Um, and that, yeah, that's yeah. probably one of the biggest, biggest realizations I've had probably in the last three years has been a real big realization for me. Well, well, like I, th- I think it's people with those skills are just much more accessible now and, and much better trained and making use of really great technologies. Whereas maybe it yep. wasn't that case 10 years ago. I, I wouldn't be so hard on yourself. I just felt it was just a necessary thing back then. Um, but but like the fact is, I think a lot of us in finance know what the end insights probably should look like or where to poke at. So so we can only do that if it, if it's all there and together for us to go and, and you know just yep. check if that is the case. And... And like, look, there's this far better place people nowadays. Uh, I completely, completely resonate with me what you just said there, there, Simon. So I think that's great advice as well, because let's play to our strengths. I think our strengths are probably connecting those disparate bits of information together in, in some form of a story. Totally. Uh, and, uh, you know, and that data management um, using things like R or SQL. Yes, it's nice to understand that they exist, but... There's far better technically qualified people than us, you know. Um, you know, let's 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 be let's play to our strengths on this one. Yeah, that, yeah, a hundred percent. And and I say that's not to that's not to do the finance community a disservice because some of those people that do that are in the finance community. They 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 thrive around being able to deliver that, and and it's become an important part of the process. Everybody talks about analytics you know using language in automated analytics and ai and all the rest of it but that that's only that's only as good as the data and the data governance that you put all of that stuff over so it's become it's it's become a core role now it used to be well i'm i'm going to get a fifty thousand row ledger extract um and i'm going to i'm just going to manipulate that to give me what what i what i want to give you know you, you could you can get and I've seen it, graduates that come in and they go, right, well, this, this is what we do. And they look at you and go, well, that's a really slow way of doing it. It's not particularly automated. And you go, well, but, but, we've been, but, but we thought that was relatively okay. And they spend a day looking at it and, and they come up with something that, that you, you end up with a little drop-down box and go, right, t- tell it what you want and it will give it you. And you think, oh, my God. Um, and that's a generational thing. Every generation gets better at using the tech. The tech is moving so fast. Um, but I think having that that as a core skill, the data governance piece, is going to become even more key as we move into much more automated and looking at AI and looking at how robotics and all the rest of that help finance the, the, the underlying data and that's not just finance data as a core skill, I think will become more and more important. Definitely. Definitely. Great advice, Simon. Uh, and thank you so much for sharing an awful lot of advice with us. It's very valuable for us. And that's I suppose right. in terms of yourself, though, Simon, like what, what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received? The best bit of advice I've ever received is probably trust yourself because you're not stupid. Okay. Um, that that's a that it was a it was a boss that was amazing um i have to say and 
I always, and I'm, I'm sure people resonate with this, I would always sit in a meeting and everybody would be talking and I'd be going, why don't you do this? But never say anything. And I'm sure there's lots of people that do that. And there's sure I'm sure there's lots of people that still sit in a meeting, think about something, and they don't say it. And then two or three weeks later, somebody else says it and everybody goes, oh my God, that's amazing. And you sit there beating the hell out of yourself because you think, oh, I didn't. So that trust yourself um, because you're not stupid um, is probably the best bit of advice because it's enabled me to question and challenge. Um, and again, that comes from being confident and it comes from experience, I know. Um, and it's something you have to learn. However, if you feel like you've got something to say and you think that thing is relevant, say it. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah, but I think that comes back to that, um, you know, not, not having so much fear about being wrong. Yep. Um, yeah, totally. You know, uh, and look, someone who's gone through a similar journey in terms of overcoming that fear, that's, it's, you know what, it, what's the worst that can happen? Actually, I'd look at it, what's the best that can happen? You, you can actually start adding value and, and you just yeah. might say something that helps someone, uh, you know, do the right thing or, or do something better than they'd originally thought. Um, you know, I think organizations are becoming much more collaborative and um, have to be much more open-minded to succeed with all this change we were talking about earlier yeah. and, and adopting the right bits and adopting the right thoughts. I think that's incumbent on all of us and people who aren't uh, becoming as open-minded, then, um, then I, I don't know if that's a sustainable way of operating today. <laughs> but uh, but I suppose, look, Simon, you also sort of touched on a book earlier, and I generally we, we ask our guest mentors to recommend a, a book or resource for our audience. So, um, so what would you recommend us uh, check out? I, so there's, there's, there's two, I think. One, which was the one I mentioned earlier on, uh, which is um, Sophie Devonshire, and, and the book's called Super Fast Lead at Speed. Um, I was privileged enough um, to, to meet and listen to Sophie talking, um, and she is an amazing and engaging kind of speaker. Um, but she's been running her, her consultancy business and her business for, for quite some time. Um, and, and basically the, the, the book is a big bunch of interviews that she's done with CEOs and CFOs and MDs of big, big companies and taken the learnings out of it um, and kind of distilled that into... Um, some people will call it agile. Some people will call it any other buzzword that you can think of that's similar to agile. Um, but, but basically the book is the bit that really highlighted for me that energy management piece. Um, and it really highlighted and, and it talks about speed as not being quick. It talks about speed as being a pace and setting the right pace for you, for the people that you talk to, for the company that you're working in. Um, and I'm trying to do it slight injustice because it talks an awful lot more than that. Um, but those those are the two things that, that I took out. And, and the great thing about the way that Sophie's pulled the book together is that she does a, a lot of the chapters and things like that. Um, and she works and, and, and is a founder of the Caffeine Partnership. Um, so she calls it Espresso Bites. So she distills the chapter at the end of the chapter into the key learnings and takeaways. So if you were thinking about something and you just wanted to quickly bump it, you, you can literally go to the go to the chapter and, and look at those espresso takeaways and you go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And that just drops your memory and all the rest of it. Um, really, really good book. Recommend it for 
certainly the pace of change um, and everything that's going on, um, it just gives you a great kind of insight and an understanding because it is from a whole bunch of CEOs and MDs who are all very, very successful. Um, so Jeff Bezos in there, she's interviewed him and stuff like that. So it's not, it, it's not just the UK. It's, it's, a, it's a global um, piece that she's done. Um, and then I think the second one, which is completely different, which is um, Daniel C. Dennett, um, who, who's an amazing thinker, um, brilliant, brilliant thinker. Um, and it's called Intuition Pumps and Other Tools for Thinking. Um, now, now this one, it, before people get worried, it's not about um, the mathematical way of thinking about things. It's not, it's not that type of thinking. Um, it's a whole bunch of different types of frameworks and different types of looking at problems and logic. And, you know, if you're struggling with something, you know, sometimes you're struggling with something and you go, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. Um, I quite often drop into this book um, and look at it and it just helps me with how do I need to think about something. And and it's and it's really, really good. There's some really technical stuff in there, but it, it lifts that technical piece into just kind of, you know, have you, how do you think about, you know, going from, going from A to B, how, how do you think about it? Well, have you really defined A? Right. If you haven't defined A, then here's a way that you might think about defining A for you. Um, have you defined B and blah, 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 blah. Um, just a really, really good book. And it's one of those that you don't have to read front to back. I love books that you don't have to read front to back. Um, you can just drop into it. You can look at the chapters and go, oh, okay, now that sounds like something I'd like to read. Um, just a really, 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 really helped me with, with certainly taking that step up in terms of working with boards and working with execs and working with much more senior people um, because it gives me a framework and a way of changing my paradigm to their paradigm um, and getting to understand their perception and their viewpoint and then going, ah, right, okay, I understand what you mean now. Um, let me tell you why I'm thinking like this. And then you can you can start a conversation, but you start it from the thinking rather than kind of the doing. Excellent. I, I, I can't wait to check out those books. So thank you for, for recommending those resources, Simon. I, I suppose if our audience wish to continue the conversation with you, where's the best place to connect with you at? Um, I, I, LinkedIn is, is absolutely fine. I'm, I'm, I don't do other social media, so um, my details are on LinkedIn. Um, my email's on there and things like that, and I'm more than happy to um, to talk to anybody um, if they think I can help or you know give them some guidance. It's uh, it'd be my pleasure. Yeah, awesome, thank thanks, Simon. And look, uh, before we start wrapping up, will you have any sort of parting thoughts for our audience? Um, I, I think that the parting thoughts and kind of touched on them earlier, but um, believe in yourself. Um, work out what your process is and believe in your process. Um, and, and I think the biggest thing um, nowadays is learn to listen. And I really mean listen. Um, because if you, if you don't, you'll miss something and um, it, won't, it won't be as good as those people that are listening. Definitely. And like, that's why, you know, I think we've got two ears and one mouth. If people are struggling with the listening, it's that's the right balance. Yeah. <laughs> so, totally. so look, Simon, totally thank, agree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, unfortunately, it was only later in my career someone pointed it out to me. So, you know, <laughs> at least for, for their younger members listening in, uh, there you had it from two people now. So uh, no excuses. Yeah. So look, uh, Simon, thank you for being such a great guest. I really enjoyed the conversation and the stories. Um, I, you know, particularly how you described your curveball experience in Saudi Arabia and, and how you built that self-belief and be, believing in yourself, the confidence. It's so key for us nowadays. Yep. And, and also the interim work. And I think that gives a great flavor people. Uh, wondering in the gig economy or so on is how to take interim seriously i suppose and not just yeah. be like covering a bae role on a contract but actually coming in and adding value so I so appreciate doing that and and yeah that rapid pace of change um i think that's all for us for something to consider so thank you for coming on the show and investing no, your time with you. us today no, no thank you very much it's been my pleasure so there you have it hope you enjoyed today's show If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers.